Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Amaphidon. Thanks for tuning in. The 114th NAACP convention flooded the seaport with melanin for five empowering days ending on Tuesday. The hub was buzzing with activities and conversations of the most pressing issues in the black community. Take a look. Boston was the intersection of black joy and culture this weekend as thousands attended the 2023 NAACP convention in Boston, marking 41 years since its last appearance in the city in 1982. This is so exciting. I know a lot of work has gone into making this happen. And what I'm most excited about is that there's just so much melanin in Boston this weekend. People love to say, are there black folks in Boston? And I think this is an opportunity for us to really show off the incredible culture that exists here in the city. The convention offered The Hub, a public space for all featuring a block party hosted by DJ Jazzy Jeff, vendors, games, and a series of panel discussions that spoke to the central theme of the event thriving together. I think there's so much about uh, the word together that, that really captures the spirit of this cause. You know, these issues are often described as fights and battles, but the truth is um, it's in everyone's interest that we have basic fairness and inclusion and connection in our city. It makes it better for everybody. Simply work together. Just work together, love each other, care about each other like it, we used to do back in the day where, you know, our neighbors used to look out, out for each other. We, we need to do that same thing, just, just simply work together. We've been brainwashed not to work with each other, all right? So we all know that. So the NAACP is simply saying, let's get back together, let's thrive together to work together to move forward. Black-owned businesses, POC artists, and community advocates took over the Boston Convention and Exhibition Center, creating a space for black folks and allies to cultivate unified communities and overcome challenges together. It often feels like we're alone in the fight for justice and the fight for anti-racism, but moments like these where we get to come together as a community is a reminder that we're not alone and we're all putting forward that work to plot that piece of land to make sure that we build this beautiful garden to make our communities better. We all have these unique challenges, but we find a way to overcome. And if you look at people of color and the story that we have in this country and our ability to thrive and overcome despite the fact that there's barriers in our way almost at every turn and we still keep coming and we still keep thriving and persisting, it's something to be applauded. Residents and visitors reflected on strides made in black civil rights throughout Boston's history while addressing ongoing struggles for equity within Boston and beyond. I think there's just so much beautiful history that Boston has to offer, especially when it comes to blackness. We have the legacy of Mel King. We have the legacy of Martin and Coretta meeting here, the creation of the Juneteenth flag. There's just so much that we have to offer when it comes to black culture. And I hope that this reinvention of the city and really putting that on a platform can be what this moment really defines for us. There's an all-out assault on uh, people of color and cultural uh, issues in this country. If you look at what's happening in Florida and in the federal government, and so we, we have to thrive together. We have to collaborate. We have to use the talents that we have as people to really elevate our, our voices and our platform. So seeing this together in this type of venue with people coming to support and meet and interact is awesome. It's great. It's needed. Vice President Kamala Harris was the highlight of Saturday's NAACP public mass meeting praising the organization for the difference it made in the midterms and presidential election, 
We had a record voter turnout for African Americans in 2020. We had a record turnout of young voters in 2020, thanks to the work of everyone here. The NAACP, by some calculations, turned out hundreds of thousands of votes alone just based on your organizing and activism. The powerful speaking program and activities from the weekend energized the spirits of all who attended, joining NAACP's fight for racial justice and equity nationwide. Building trust between law enforcement and community members is a top priority in the city. Last week, that trust was on full display at National Night Out in Jamaica Plain. Every year, thousands of cities celebrate National Night Out, a community-building campaign that promotes partnership between law enforcement and the communities which they serve in order to make our neighborhoods safer places to live. The goal of National Night Out is to get people out in the community, especially our young people out in the community. It's so important that the young people see us here, they feel like they can talk to us at any time. We're building trust with these young people. They're not just seeing us in their homes or doing traffic, they're seeing us here in their community, dancing, you know, talking to them, giving them stickers. We just want them to feel like they can trust us and they can come to us at any time, not just on National Night Out, but any time in the city of Boston. This effort contributes to the plan of incorporating community policing into the fabric of our city, allowing officers to become invested in the communities they work in. BPD seeks to build trust in the face of nationwide police violence while establishing a strong bond with the next generation of Boston residents. A police officer is absolutely there to help you in, in, in any way that they can. So, you know, we are a trusted member of the community and I hope the public understands that and I hope kids understand that, whether you're a teenager or a young child. If you need help, you see our uniform, go up to that officer, say hello, tell them your situation, and I promise you, we're going to help. For the young people present, Monday night was a chance to engage with police in ways they normally don't. Children were uninhibited and felt free to get close, sharing smiles and finding common ground with their new friends in uniform. Something's burning, but it won't be fossil fuels, as Mayor Michelle Wu signs an executive order eliminating their use in any municipal construction and renovation projects. Joining Green New Deal and other local advocates, Mayor Wu hopes to demonstrate Boston's commitment to climate action and leading the charge on decarbonization. On Monday, Mayor Michelle Wu signed an executive order to eliminate the use of fossil fuels in new construction and major renovations of city buildings effective immediately. We need to do everything possible in the city of Boston, not only to protect our own residents and communities, but to set the standard across the country and beyond for what action can look like with the urgency that is getting close to what our <coughs> residents deserve. Mayors throughout the U.S. are following suit signing similar executive orders to reduce emissions from building sectors while creating high-quality green jobs, advancing racial and economic justice, and improving public health and quality of life. These are the pathways that we have to continue to create in cities across America in order to make sure that um, our economies, as well as, of course, the people who make up these great cities, um, not only have support um, that they need, but the ability to be able to live freely. Municipal emissions contribute to 2.3% of Boston's carbon emissions, with 70% coming from buildings overall. The city is making decarbonization a priority by distancing itself from fossil fuels like coal, oil, and natural gas. 
This executive order recognizes that as the owners of 380 buildings with 16 and a half million square feet, we have an important role to play. The other element of the all of government approach is that we really are turning our city agencies into decarbonization delivery mechanisms. And what we're doing here with this executive order is that the operations cabinet is putting the pieces into place so that all of its projects are really actively advancing our climate imperatives. As climate activists sound the alarm on the impact of fossil fuels on our world, Boston has taken more aggressive steps to achieve its net zero 2050 year goal. The installation of solar panels to new residential buildings in the city is just one example of change stemming from Mayor Wu's stretch code ordinance approved by city council in April. This emphasis on clean energy is creating more green jobs and rebalancing resources in our communities. First, we have to recognize there's a real disparity in resources. Just like we see environmental justice communities here in Boston, where some communities have more resources than others, you see the same thing at the global level, where some countries have plenty of wealth and resources that they can deploy towards climate justice. Other countries don't. And so there's a real role for international cooperation to similarly bridge that resource divide and to make sure that we're giving all countries a pathway for economic growth while still balancing the health and well-being of all of our people. This order today is not just a commitment in building a more resilient Boston, but it's a commitment in racial justice. And it's a commitment in ensuring that the communities who are going to be most directly impacted by the impacts of climate change are going to be at the center of all of our decision making. With the mayor's initiatives and Boston's plans to incorporate climate-conscious policies, the Commonwealth will be a leader in the fight against climate change. The feeling of community pride was definitely present in Roxbury's Nubian Square as people gathered for the unveiling of the Edward Olgerdeen statue, connecting the city to an unsung hero from the past while recognizing black veterans from across the state. Special reporter Michael Templeton has the story. On Tuesday, the Roxbury community gathered on a beautiful August afternoon for the dedication of the Edward O. Gurdine Memorial Park, a space in the heart of Nubian Square which honors the extraordinary life and sacrifice of Edward O. Gurdine, the first black brigadier general to serve. He achieved not because he was groomed for achievement, but because he believed that he could. He was unaware that the result of his accomplishments would someday stand as a testament to and inspiration for black and Native American achievement. But they do indeed stand the test of time. The five-foot-tall statue, created and designed by local artists Karen Utami and the late Fern Cunningham, represents all African Americans who have worn the uniform and the true meaning of service as a person of color. General Gurdin represents something extraordinary. His life's example smashes barriers of discrimination which have been present in the black community for centuries. General Gordon laid the foundation and crashed through that ceiling that allowed me and many of you who are here to be history makers in the academic world, in the sports world, in the military, or whatever we choose to do. 
This dedication also marks big strides for African-American veterans, and this event had a significant impact on those who have served and those who are currently wearing the uniform. It shows that we are seen. It shows that our service matters, um, it sh and it helps us have an appreciation for those who came before us and paved the way. Uh, it's, it's honestly amazing. With things being what they are now about recording African-Americans' uh, history, uh, we felt that uh, this particular project uh, it wasn't started in that purpose, but it fits in that it's a repudiation of what's going on now in trying to defame, if you will, the services and contributions of African-American veterans. There are many of them over the years. My father was a veteran, my uncles were veterans, and then a lot of people I've been working with over these last years with this project are veterans, so it's it's for them, for their families, to feel some honor for all the work they did do in the military, and many of them are still in the military, and I, I just want them to feel honored. Here at the Edward O. Gordine Memorial Park, Bostonians can come enjoy this unique space in the heart of their community, which celebrates the extraordinary sacrifice of our veterans and the life of Edward O. Gordine. For BNN News, I'm Michael Templeton. Haywood Fennell Sr., president of Veterans and Friends of Gurdine Memorial Park, was an instrumental force in bringing both to Gurdine Memorial Park and his story to light. A non-combat Vietnam War veteran, Fennell has championed many causes, including advocacy for veterans and the formerly incarcerated. Here's our conversation. So I would love for you to share with our viewers the, the journey of the creation of the General Edward O. Gurdine and African American Veterans Memorial Park. Well, it would be more of an odyssey than it would be a journey in that I was in so many different places in my life uh, as a veteran, uh, coming out of the military, uh, after serving in during the Vietnam era as a non-combatant veteran. And I came back and I had issues that kept me from really doing anything. I was addicted. Uh, I struggled for many years putting myself together with the help of other people. Uh, I missed cues, if you will, in my life's development and I just one day decided that um, I was tired. Hmm. And I went over, about 28 years ago, I went over to Jamaica Plain uh, to the VA hospital and uh, sought a detox treatment. And the nurse said to me, uh, well, what's different this time? And I said to her, this time I want to live. And while I was there early on in my recovery process, I prayed and I asked God to help me to uh, change my life, help me to stop using and to write. So you have to be careful what you ask for because God doesn't make any junk, as I said to you earlier. And I've been writing and fighting uh, for the last 28 years and have incorporated a veterans advocacy project called this Triad Veterans League. Uh, and we've been working to uh, get people to understand the significance of veterans when they are the ones that raised their hand hmm. and took the oath 
to follow orders, whatever those orders may be. And when they came back, for the many that came back, they were confronted with issues that they had never had before because they had gone through some experiences that they couldn't even talk about, not even with their family members. And it was later diagnosed as PTSD, uh, people that just couldn't cope with the pressures and the racism that was a part of the military. And so, you know, over a period of time, you know, I find myself uh, appreciating veterans more than I used to. Thank you for that. Um, how did you first hear of General Gurudin, and why was it important for you to bring his story and uh, the park to Roxbury? General Ed Edward O. Gordine came into my life through a man by the name of, who's now passed, and he was a veteran too, by the name of Ralph Francis Brown, Jr. He was in the military with General Gordine. And uh, when Brother Brown came out, he was involved not just in military situations, trying to raise the level of consciousness around the importance of veterans and community service, if you will, because he was one of the leaders in blacks in government, mm -hmm. you know. And so uh, he became not only a friend but a mentor for me, guiding me through some of the uh, things that went on at the American Legion because I was real fiery. You know, I want to say something all the time, right? So he would do like this, and I say, he's telling me to shut up, right? And I did. You dig? And I have a lot of respect for him, and I've been involved with this program for veterans uh, advocacy. I've done a research project on uh, health disparities for veterans that came out with a finding and funded by the Boston Public Health Commission with the late Dr. Joseph Warren, a PhD at uh, Northeastern University, no longer around the deceased. But it was inspiring to find out that it was more than just a gut feeling. You know, I was able to get some scientific work done, and we are planning to extend that work uh, re re uh, regarding disparities and the need for culture sensitivity for our veterans because. Uh, it, the military has a history of systemic racism that goes back all the way to 1776 mm. when they didn't want us in the military. Wow. Uh, General Gurdin was an extremely accomplished man. He was... Absolutely. Yes. Like reading about his life, learning that he was a Harvard scholar two times over. Yeah. He was an Olympian, a medal-winning athlete, a right. soldier, and right. even a judge. Yeah. Uh, and a district attorney, too, from the federal level. Yes. So yeah. he's truly a renaissance man. Yeah, no question. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he would be singing songs and playing music because... <laughs> You know, when you have those kind of talents, there's no limit to what you can do. Right. You know, the challenges that he faced in the United States military, even today we still face those challenges when it comes to promotions, when it comes to assignments mm -hmm. and things like that. So God had something to do with this man because of the things that he was able to do and to show our people, you know, hey, don't close the door on me because there's another door that he went through. You know, he became a general for the mm -hmm. 
Massachusetts National Guard, a judge, a Olympian, silver medal. Next is the gold medal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he served a country. So what he did and what I tried to emulate is to understand that veterans are an overlooked and underused community resource. We have these experiences that we need to begin to shape so that we can be a force within our community on all levels, especially with our young people, as role models for them in mentoring them, in education, in character development. These things are what our children do not have a lot of them. And I think that there are a lot of veterans that I communicate with that are on a professional level. They say that they are veterans, but they don't have the sensitivity that is required because a lot of them, because of their uh, professional positions, they don't go to the VA. Mm -hmm. They have their own health plan, and that's okay. But my job is to articulate the importance of veterans coming back into the community using their skills along with their education and concern for building our community. That's what it's all about. The statue project was uh, started to uh, get people to understand the struggle. But beyond the struggle, when you look at a man like General Edward O. Gordine, mm -hmm. his skin color dictated those situations that he refused to accept. What do you believe that we can learn from his life today? We are introduced to greatness when you look at his life. We are introduced to greatness. So all of this stuff that is distracting us, you got to push that out the side because we have a man by the name of Edward O. Gordine who stood those same grounds but refused to walk that road. He found other roles, and we need to find other roles and have our own process for validating who we are, what we've done, and where we can go. I couldn't agree more. And in addition to the statue of Gurdine that was unveiled on Tuesday, there are also 10 bas-reliefs um, that grace the park. Uh, what, do you, what do you feel when you see them? What do you want people to take away when they walk into the, the park? It's a revelation. It is the time now, and it could not have happened in a better time when you have politicians trying to say this and say that and that we didn't serve and all of that. And then you go and you look at the American Revolution, 1776, and you go all the way up to the Iraq War that we served. Remember now, they didn't want to give us uniforms in 1776. In World War One, the... Uh, Harlem Hellfighters in World War I went to France and served in France and got all kind of awards fighting to save France from coming back to the United States of America and not welcome. Hmm. I mean, there's lynchings, all kind of bad, adverse things that happen to our veterans, but we serve. The Buffalo Soldiers, they served. Uh, the uh, 272nd Engineer Battalion, uh, the 372nd, uh, General Gordine was a leader whose time has not gone away. The statue is a symbol to remind us of the importance of service to the military, but also to our community. 
Well, as a, a veteran yourself who, who served our country, uh, what do you want, um, what would you like people to understand about those who serve our country? How can the people of Boston support our veterans, particularly our, our senior veterans? Right. Well, one of the things that here lately <clears throat> that I'm working with is uh, goes beyond thank you for your service, because that's just some rhetoric. We need to have in our community the sensitivity in our community about our veterans that have aged in a home alone and needs people to come in and check on them. We need to have in our community a veterans multi-purpose center that deals with services and care as well as housing for them. I was at a meeting last Saturday uh, at RCC and they had a lot of politicians, blah, blah, blah. And they were talking about housing and uh, there was no mention of veterans housing. And veterans are a special group. And my job, I believe, is to continue to advocate that veterans be included on every level of the community to get our message out that we deserve because we have served. With the ever-changing landscape of art and media, lifting up young voices is more important than ever. 617 Peak is an arts nonprofit providing Boston's next generation of artists with platforms for creative expression. They promote creativity and ingenuity through support and resources from inspiring community members. We sat down with NBA player Ikenna Nduba and spoken word artist and local legend Amanda Shea to talk about the necessity of spaces like 617 Peak that bring new voices to the forefront and prepare young artists, writers, and filmmakers for their future successes. Enjoy the interview. Uh, so we're here to talk about 617 Peak, your nonprofit organization. It's such an incredible name. Can you tell us a little bit about the history behind the name? How did you come up with that? Uh, the name started really from wanting proper representation of Boston in the inner city. And so that's where you get the, like, it's more of a peak into the city. And then our slogan is using your voice to reach new heights. And that's what we do through uh, using our, you know, our platforms, our, our voices and helping the students to know um, and understand, I guess, uh, the best parts about the city and sharing their story. And so that's kind of how the name came about. 617 Peak has been around since 2018. Uh, what led you to create the organization and what growth have you had since you started? I think growing up in the city, there was a lot of stories that were untold. And I think there weren't spaces, at least growing up for me, that I think uh, some of my friends, uh, my family felt comfortable sharing those stories. And a lot of situations in the city led, uh, you know, uh, I guess for better, lack of better words, uh, people didn't know how to communicate properly. And part of that was because there's so much going on in the city. And so I wanted to create a space for that um, with youth in the city. So, you know, as they get older, right, we have youth that know how to communicate and know how to solve problems effectively. Hmm. What are you most proud of that you've accomplished at 617 Peak? I think I'm most proud of you and the infrastructure of 617 Peak, like coming in and watching this basically from infancy stages to where it's at now and being able to implement all these different programs. I mean, to do a retreat with all these kids is really, really cool. And then on top of that, also seeing it grow into summer jobs. I think the other part of it for the students is watching them grow and evolve and grow up with them, if you will. Right, right now, I would say in 2022, uh, we had the largest youth open mic 
in Massachusetts, and we had uh, about 150 people down Dudley um, at Hibernian Hall, and that was something that was big because it brought you know a lot of community members uh, around to see a lot of the students, and we had a lot of youth in attendance. Y'all have to understand that this is the future. They are the future. You're not a superhero, but when you feel low, God comes to save the day. But what's life without purpose or peace? I'm in this poem with this last message, and this is my place to be here. And how can viewers learn more about 617peak and get involved? Uh, they can check out uh, our website at 617peak.org, Instagram, Twitter, um, at 617peak. Uh, we, we're, we're working on updating everything and, and posting a calendar for people to come to our events. Thank you for tuning in, Boston. That's our broadcast for tonight. Next week, please join us for our full-length interview with 617 Peak and special coverage on an evening with Skippy White, musical tribute to a living legend. For BNN News, I'm Faith Amaphidon, and I'll see you next Friday.